In NASDAQ, most of our trading is machine to machine. We're counting in single microseconds. And when I look at wireless and human response time, the newer 5G and even some of the optimizations of 4G right now are getting down to 20 milliseconds. So if you can get down to the single digit millisecond latency, all of a sudden it opens up the door for a brand new set of machine to machine applications. I think there's a big new industry in there somewhere. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I've spent more than a decade really learning about technology, what makes it tick, and then describing and explaining that to my audience. But it's the conversations with the world's most unconventional thinkers, the leaders at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. In partnership with T-Mobile for Business, I explore the unique set of challenges that CIOs and CTOs face from advancements in cloud and edge computing, software as a service, Internet of Things, and, of course, 5G. We are often left wondering how the leading minds in business continue to thrive. Let's find out. Our guest today is Brad Peterson, Executive Vice President and Chief Technology and Chief Information Officer for NASDAQ. Brad has extensive experience in the financial and tech sectors. That experience informs his unique approach to defining challenges and solutions while serving both internal and external partners at NASDAQ and meeting their technological needs. Brad, thank you so much for being here with us today. And before we really dive into your role and your experience and your leadership philosophy, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. So when did you first get interested in the field of technology? My father worked at Ford, and he came home one day and said, there are going to be hundreds of computers in cars in the future. And I didn't even know what a computer was. So it was it sounded pretty fascinating. And so I asked him a little more about what was so special about a computer. And so he made it very personal and said, well, someday it's actually going to be able to do your homework for you. And at that point, hooked. So I've got something that I don't have to do it. Someone else is going to do it. Of course, we may get into that about how far away your your general intelligence and, and your ability of computers to do your homework fully. But that was the day I think I remember getting hooked on this. Wow, your father was very forward thinking because I think the average car now has between 50 and 150 CPUs in it. So right yeah. on the money. Well, yeah. what, what was your first job in the field? I started as a programmer at a bank and I was able to do something applying programming to business problems versus in school, you were pretty much solving kind of scientific and mathematical problems. And I found that pretty interesting. That's something that resonates with me, the idea of taking stuff you have learned through your academic experience and then applying it to real-world situations. Skipping far enough ahead, uh, when did you join the team of NASDAQ? When did that actually happen, and, and what was your initial role? Well, I joined in 2013, right at the beginning of the year. I would say the same role that I have today, although our company has changed. So my role in leading technology is ever-changing. I was recruited to New York City and really think about the future of NASDAQ and help form the strategy and, and move more towards a technology-oriented company versus 
the heritage of a financial services exchange that, that applied technology, which, which really was the seed of, of NASDAQ. It's been 50 years now, so we celebrate our 50th anniversary. That's incredible. And to be brought in right at the beginning of something so transformational, I'm sure that was really exciting. And you, you oversee roles of, of CIO and CTO. Do those roles intertwine pretty naturally, or do you find that it's more compartmentalized that you're, you're- It's very much holistic. And I would say my last two roles, I was both CIO and CTO. I came from Schwab where I had both. And if you think about the CIO role at NASDAQ, we run all the technology for ourselves. And that includes the traditional CIO role that is technology used by employees, whereas the CTO is building the technology you sell to customers. But we have a huge amount of technology that is above and beyond any normal technology supplied employees, but for our exchanges in North America and and in Europe. So you think about that in a lot of companies, they are not intertwined very much in NASDAQ. It is an intertwined CIO, CTO role, and the lines blur quite a bit. How do you describe your role to somebody? Let's say you're at a cocktail party and someone says, so what do you do? Well, I swim laps to work out. So if if I'm going to be cold and need to start swimming again, I'll just say I run technology at NASDAQ. <laughs> so I wouldn't do that to you. But if I'm in a pool, that's my quick answer. And they usually try and stop me to say, what does that mean? And if they don't, then I know they're not interested and that was sufficient. But I would say that the role that I play, obviously, is a leadership one. It's really important to communicate with the other leaders of the business, what are the implications of technology trends and specifically disruptive technologies that might offer us first an opportunity? So where can we spot something that we think is going to emerge and surprise everyone at the pace that it comes because of the nature of the technology, but also be on the lookout for disruptive technologies that could disrupt our businesses. There's both sides of it. There's the positive and there's the negative. And if you're looking out close enough and tuning to all the things that are going on in the world, which of which there are many, you can distill it down to a list of about a dozen technologies that create opportunity or risk for your business. I think our team is pretty well versed at this point. After hanging out for eight years, I think we've tuned into in most cases, the right trends, and then position ourselves well to improve our business and certainly keep our business vibrant and alive and modern. Speaking of your team, how big is your department? How many people do you manage? So we're over 2,000, 2,064 to be exact, and the company is just about 5,500. We are not quite half, but I would say given our strategy and our trajectory, the technology organization will become more than half the company in the long run. A lot of companies like to claim that they are technology companies. So I like to look at a couple of things. One is, do you sell technology to customers? Do they actually pay you for technology? And we check the box there. So we are the number one provider of technology to other exchanges and corporations with our corporate platforms. And then it's what percentage of your workforce are technologists. And there, I think, um, usually, if if you're over 50%, it's a, another clear check the box. So we're close on that front and clearly um, qualify on the other. 
Well, you've, you've touched on something that I wanted to know a little more about. I think a lot of people, when they think of NASDAQ, might think of it as, quote unquote, just a stock market where, you know, a lot of, of trading activity happens. But how would you describe what NASDAQ is and what it does to kind of clear away that misconception? I'm going to give you an answer I've never given before. So you get some unique uh, content here. If you unpack what NASDAQ does stand for or did originally, it's the National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotation System. We are not that anymore. We're now a global company. And automated quotation system is very limiting. We do a lot more than just automate quotations. We absolutely do run markets, as you mentioned, and they trade. We have clearing uh, system. We have surveillance systems. And and we have recently purchased an anti-financial crime company. When I do answer the question now, I first start with the NASDAQ market that everyone knows and gives us so much brand um, awareness and prominence every day on TV. It is that, and it's a great business, but it is also corporate platforms. We provide governance solutions for companies to run their board meetings. Uh, We have tools for the investor relations officer. So when a company goes public, there's a lot of things they have to do quickly to go from adolescence to adulthood. We've been asked, what are the best tools? So we decide why not provide them ourselves. And then ESG, environment, social, and governance, is a big new trend. We see a, a role of expanding our corporate platforms into helping companies really up their game in terms of ESG awareness and communication. And then investor intelligence within that is our index business, which is a phenomenal business in its own outright. And then the final one is market technology. We're in a unique position because we run our own exchanges in the Nordics and the U.S., So we get great depth of understanding of what it takes to run a market reliably, with capacity, with security, and performance. And we're able to sell to folks that traditionally in an industry might be your competitors, but because exchanges and capital markets are geographically franchised, we're able to be a provider without the normal worries that you might be doing business with a competitor. It's quite a unique business, and we're the leader by far in that business. We call it market infrastructure operators, where we will sell them our trading, clearing, surveillance, risk management systems. I very much appreciated that Brad demystified NASDAQ for me, giving me a clearer picture as to the role the organization plays. With that established, I felt it was time to dive into learning more about Brad's approach to leadership. And one thing I really wanted to know was how his journey through different industries informed his approach to leadership at NASDAQ. Yeah, I would say in hindsight, that has been one of the best experiences. I didn't design it that way, but just this opportunity to work in financial services, in telecommunications, and in e-commerce. Everyone, I learned something along the way. It really started in telecommunications I observed they were implementing something called Signaling System 7, which was a out-of-band control network that really flattened the whole telecom network itself. So I took that away from my first job and saying, that's a brilliant architecture. So every industry has provided me with a view into a unique architecture. 
that I have looked for in the new industries, um, is this applicable? And certainly out-of-band signaling and control is very much a buzzword today of observability. And in telecom, it was telemetry, but that is how you understand today what SaaS products, where your uptake is, how you can improve your product, the, the full improvement cycle, is really this notion of instrumenting you know, what's happening. And fortunately, modern SaaS products lend themselves towards incredible instrumentation and data about what's, what's really happening real time and gives you a chance to recover. So versus a physical product. And then at eBay, what's interesting is if you think about shopping, you're consuming huge amounts of product information just visually, and then periodically you'll stop and you'll browse and pick something, compare and, and buy it. So if you think about the asymmetry to the amount of products you look at to the transactions, the architecture that I was exposed to at eBay was about massive amounts of simulation of someone browsing, if you will. They're kind of virtually walking and shopping to the uh, transactions when they actually buy. So we had this massive read infrastructure, and it brought on the advent of, um, of big data, really. It was some of the early applications. It's amazing hearing these experiences you had as various transformational technologies were starting to emerge and mature. I love that. That also leads me to the next question, which is that you've worked in cutting-edge technology companies and industries. You've worked in finance. What is it about these sorts of jobs that really appeals to you? Well, there is an attraction. So I did get some advice early on that the industry you pick has more to do with your your outcome and quality of life than what you do with that industry. So I married that with something I also learned at the time called positive network externalities in economics, and it's been shortened to networks effects. So I'm very much attracted to industries where networks effects are in play. And, you know, simply it's something becomes more valuable the more people are on the network, if you will, or are connected via that product or service. eBay was one of the, the grandest examples of it. So I would say I do look for companies that do have some networks effects attributes in their business model. If there's one thing most businesses can agree on these days, it's that change has never come about so quickly. New ways of working have become the norm. As a result, the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses adapt and innovate. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses work smarter and grow faster. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network. It's just one reason they're better able to help businesses solve the real-world challenges they face as they evolve. For instance, their new WFX solutions help team members stay connected and productive where work happens. With nearly two and a half times the network coverage of AT&T, nearly four times more than Verizon, and $40 billion invested in network and business improvements over the next three years, T-Mobile for Business is better for your business right now and into the future. See what they can do for your organization at tmobile.com slash unconventional. Open signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See tmobile.com.
As Brad pointed out, the network effect describes an organization that increases in value as you add more people to that network. Organizations that benefit from the network effect have more opportunities to create products internally and externally that can have an exponentially powerful impact as the network grows. And so Brad's experiences in industries that have that network effect clearly played a part in guiding his career. I wanted to shift the conversation over to emerging technologies. And as you all know, I'm fascinated by the seemingly limitless applications of 5G connectivity. I also knew that Brad had once said at a conference that while the high throughput of 5G is amazing, what he was personally excited about was the low latency associated with 5G. I asked him if he could expand upon that. Sure. We at NASDAQ, most of our trading is machine to machine. We're counting in single microseconds. And when I look at wireless and human response time is you know, 100 to 300 milliseconds. The newer 5G and even some of the optimizations of 4G right now are getting down to 20 milliseconds. So if, if you can get down to the single digit millisecond latency and you can improve the determinism and the reliability, all of a sudden it opens up the door for a brand new set of machine to machine applications. And I think that is first of all, incredibly exciting because I don't even know what they are. I could posit what they're up. I would be wrong, but there's going to be something that emerges and we go, this is wonderful um, that we can do that. It's machine to machine. And then it's married with edge compute. And what you're seeing is the major cloud providers are extending their cloud infrastructure. They're doing deals with the telecom providers. It also um, may play into self-driving cars or other communication with localized infrastructure that now is enabled with communications capability that you can just think about new ways of dynamically pricing them. So that's why when I first thought about the lower latency and reliability coupled with the greater capacity of, of 5G um, started my my creative juices going. I think there's a big new industry in there somewhere. I, I couldn't agree more. I always look at, at certain developments in technology as being kind of a seesaw where you'll see uh, one side of technology make sudden improvements and leave another side of it behind. And then eventually there becomes a rebalancing. And the emergence of 5G to me is one of those where you say, oh, the thing that used to be the bottleneck is no longer a bottleneck. And now all the things that you wish you could have done with that technology, but you were limited because of those barriers are no longer an issue. So now now what is standing in your way? I remember when I first started hearing the phrase Internet of Things mm -hmm. and it didn't really mean anything to me. And now we live in a world where billions of devices are connected to networks. What's your view of Internet Things as a, an emerging technology? Are there ways that you're eager to leverage IoT in what you do? Yes. Where we specifically would apply it at NASDAQ is this notion of anything that is statically priced that should be dynamically priced. So we, we because we're in the markets business, if you will, we start to see everything in terms of a market. And what if you had better resource allocation because you could run a mini market 
and and allocate those resources in a different way. And however you want to design that market, you know, whatever what is the market structure of it could yield the outcome. But that's where IoT fits in. That's where the 5G low latency machine to machine fits in, where you might not even know that a market was run, that you put out a bid for something and it happens, the market crosses, it it fulfills at the right price and you haven't even used up your think time yet. So building applications like that. And the simplest one is, let's just go to New York City around Madison Square Garden when there's an event there, concert. The parking should be more expensive the closer in you are and less the further out you are, but it's it's statically priced or it, it's starting to become dynamically priced. But But that's just a great example of if if the car and the parking space can mediate and you then get directed to that parking space and you accept your you you've given your car a limit order if you will and it accepts on your behalf so you you're not even in the loop and you're you know wow um I had to park 3 blocks away when I went to the last concert and I'm 2 blocks away this time and I gave it a $15, you know, limit order. That's pretty cool. So all those things, um, huge productivity lift, huge um, revenue opportunity for, um, for you know, a, a city like New York. So I, so I, and and it's technology that's here, right? You could you could see that that happening. So those kinds of things, to me, um, I get really excited about um, running markets, building technology, and and I think micro markets. Um, is is one of my favorite examples. I, I actually really love that example too. It makes me think of a, having a having a negotiation with my with my app about how much I'm willing to pay for the convenience of not having to walk too far to get to a venue. That speaks to me on a very personal level. Or maybe content, you know, the media content when you're confronted with something you haven't subscribed to but you really want to read it and there's a micro market opportunity there as well. I come across things all the time. And in some cases, I think I would love to pay for this one specific piece of content, but I don't really have that option. If there were a a more broad approach to this, then uh, I would probably be far more likely to go through those avenues in in my research. So that really speaks to me too. Well, what would you say would be the most important technological change in the last few years uh, with regard to uh, to to the work at NASDAQ? Well, I would say we're right now studying other companies like Stripe and Twilio and this concept of innovation by combination. So you the building blocks are there in terms of APIs. And, and just the acceleration of, of, of those companies being able to go global, and, and I, I think Stripe is quoted as saying they have over a million customers, just that incredible growth because they made their product so consumable by engineers. So that trend of the engineer now is the one that buys your product. So they, they integrate it in, they test it, they, they see that it works, and now you have a business that starts to grow organically from the build point when the engineer discovers it. We're decomposing our markets to, to be consumable APIs. And then what we want to do is see who, who creatively finds uses for those. So that kind of comes back to, I just think it's fascinating how that has happened so quickly 
Yeah, it really creates a, an opportunity for collaboration. Well, then, who, in your opinion, in tech leadership is really killing it right now? Who, who are the people you look to and you say, this person really has their finger on the pulse of what is going on? Well, I've been listening on Clubhouse to Mark Andreessen, and I do always learn something. Mark has incredible insight to what's going on. Of course, he's sitting right at the edge of everyone that comes in, you know, that's doing something interesting. And then on the business side, I would say Patrick Collison and his brother John at Stripe. So they um, they are incredibly thoughtful people for, and especially for their age. I'm just very impressed with. Um, how they're going about building their company, how they're learning about, um, you know, problems in the world and addressing them in a responsible way. So I, I just think they're they're two outstanding um, entrepreneurs who are who are building a great company. Great answer. We've talked about quite a few technologies so far. I found that people can have misconceptions about some tech sometimes because. The definitions get ambiguous. I'm thinking about stuff like artificial intelligence or machine learning. I'm curious, what do you see as the most widely misunderstood technology? Most misunderstood, I I would say probably the whole crypto right now. And certainly what is unique about all the different cryptocurrencies. So even with Bitcoin, I, I always ask someone, did you read the paper, the the original PDF that's on the internet um, that's nine pages long. And no one, I, I, almost no one says, yes, I've read it. So I always go, go read it. It's not bad. you know. And maybe you get down to page five or six, and, and if you don't have a technical background, it starts to, to, to get difficult to understand. But the first five pages are tremendous about what it is. Then there's all these cryptocurrencies. I think Algorand is is a great one. I happen to have studied that one. And they're solving real problems. The cost of the mining and the block verification is brilliant. And then also trying to solve the centralization of the mining in certain parts of the world. Um, so I think they have a real purpose. So they've, they've gone about it. And then some are scalability and, and transaction rates. But a lot of them, um, I think people are investing them and they have no idea what, <laughs> what is the foundational, if there is any. Algorand and Bitcoin have, and Ethereum have some foundational unique technology and attributes. Most of the other ones don't. And um, so I would say that to me still seems like um, very misunderstood about what are the what are they trying to accomplish? I agree. When one of the major ones in the stories is literally a, a cryptocurrency that was created as kind of a joke and is now having a fairly impressive run, you do start to wonder how many people bothered to read Satoshi's paper back in the day. So yeah, I think that you are right on the money, so to speak, with that one. So Brad, we have time for just one more question. We all know that money never sleeps, even when people need their shut-eye. What is it that keeps you up at night? The answer for me, what keeps me up at night, is is a literal one. Because of the business we're in and we're running um, critical infrastructure, and then also our customers are using our technology to run their critical infrastructure, there's always some customer that 
got their market hours around the world. So even in the Middle East, they're running their markets on Sundays. And in Asia, when I'm supposed to be sleeping, that's daytime for them. It is oftentimes when I have to respond to a crisis. But fortunately, those are not every night. Otherwise, I would not get any sleep. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. I greatly appreciate your time, and I've learned a lot just through this conversation. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me, Jonathan. Look forward to doing it again. What really struck me in my conversation with Brad was how he takes an almost free association approach to problem solving using his experience in one field to guide his point of view and approach in another. It makes him extremely adaptable. He brings forward solutions that might not seem obvious, but once applied, they become the sort of thing that, in hindsight, seems like it should have been obvious. It's really hard to spot those solutions in advance, though. It's really the restless ones who are able to take that kind of approach. I feel that much of what we covered, from leveraging software as a service to other cloud applications and beyond, and of course, how the benefits of 5G are ripe for new applications that can take advantage of low latency, all of that has widespread applicability, and it makes me excited to see what's next. Join us for more conversations with innovative leaders here on The Restless Ones. We'll be speaking with more CIOs and CTOs from different industries to hone in on the skills and tech it takes to be a pioneer. See you next time. These days, new ways of working have become the norm, and the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses evolve and grow. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses seize innovation. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network, which makes their new WFX solutions possible, letting businesses stay connected and productive where work happens. See what T-Mobile for Business can do for you at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. 